This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash God is Gray. Now, on to the episode. Thank you for joining us. Today we're talking to Eliza Kelly. She is an astrologer and the author of The Mixology of Astrology. Hello, Eliza. Hello. <laughs> I really wanted you guys to meet Eliza because... So many of you ask me about astrology and I cannot speak to it because it's something that I've never practiced, but I definitely have a lot of friends that either casually dabble in and I feel very cynical of that at times. And then I have other friends like Eliza who read your chart and you're like, well, dang, that's all exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) So to me, it's like this undeniable thing um for a skeptical person I know I have some atheist listeners and stuff they might be like that's a bunch of bs and then for my Christian listeners you might be like well this is a sin you shouldn't even be talking about this (laughs) oh my goodness so here's the uh that's the vast array of audience and then we've got the good old agnostics or Christian like liberal people that are like I'm down I just want to hear some stuff well hey (laughs) hey to you all (laughs) nice to meet you all (laughs) Um, so how did you like grow up as a child feeling like you had some special like tap into another realm or what's your upbringing like? So I grew up in a very open-minded household. Um, my mother loves the Bible. She is Jewish. She loves religious studies. So I grew up with, um, astrology books next to the Old Testament, next to the New Testament, next to the Koran, next to Buddhist texts. My mom is just really a student of spirituality in the world. So to me, there was no distinction between any type of faith or practice or spirituality or mystic tradition. Um, I have an uncle who was an amazing astrologer, and he calculated my birth chart before I was born. And I have the the hand-calculated chart with me still. Um, He passed away when I was three, so I didn't have a chance to talk to him about what his interpretations or observations are or were of the chart. Um, But my mother told me certain things when I was a kid. For instance, I have 
Pluto in the 10th house conjunct my midheaven, which (laughs) (laughs) if there are any astrology fans out there, um, it's pretty straightforward. (laughs) Um, And the interpretation of that was that I would speak to large masses of people. And that was really all that my mother retained from whatever my uncle had told her. So she's going to be famous. (laughs) Yeah, she's going to be famous. (laughs) Um, And so I I grew up knowing that there was a a chart, that there was more to astrology than just your zodiac sign, Mm -hmm. which is your sun sign. Um, I am a Leo, and Leo's like Gemini, <laughs> as Which you are, I am, yes. um, get a lot of feedback when you tell somebody what your sign is. And, you know, Gemini get the, oh, you're two-faced, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's the stereotype <laughs> of it. For Leo, it's like, oh, you're very performative and theatrical, which I definitely am, but I didn't ever feel like captured the full range of who I was. Um, and when I started to explore astrology more, actually by way of building a dating app based around astrology several years ago, um, I discovered that I have a Pisces moon, that I am a Capricorn rising, that I have an eighth house stellium. All of these things, again, for people who are knowledgeable on any level about astrology will see that, oh, shit, this girl is very complex. (laughs) Um, And astrology helped reconcile all of those complexities and it made sense to me why yes on an external level I'm very vibrant and vivacious and dramatic and theatrical but internally I am so sensitive I cry all the time I'm way too empathetic for my own good Um, and I was just fascinated by there being uh, planets which represent different areas of life uh, that could exist in so many different ways. And as I continued to study uh, with amazing, amazing teachers and mentors, I never questioned what I was doing. I never felt like, oh, this is real wacky stuff because to me the practice of studying another mystical tradition always felt safe and comfortable. So it never felt to me weird. Um, I only started to feel like it was weird when I would tell people and I would talk about astrology and my findings, this is many years ago now, over five years ago, and people would be like, oh, you're into that stuff? And I would (laughs) just be like, why wouldn't I be, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I always get envious when people are brought up without fear in certain areas of their life. Obviously, sexuality, but other, just our intellect, our heart, our intuition, um, even like gaining a cursory understanding of different religions. Like I was brought up in such a fear-based way around all of these things, which to me is a tragedy. Like I think one of the, and this isn't directly correlated to you, but I had an experience where while I was going through a divorce, uh, my Buddhist friend gave me a book by this Buddhist monk and it was about mourning. And I remember being scared to read it because I was like, oh, that's all witchcraft. Like you don't even, you could classify anything as witchcraft, including Hinduism or Judaism, because you're just taught to fear any quote other all the time. And I think it's really unfortunate because I've been totally like 
edified by other people's practices and understanding of other people's belief systems. And it's never once taken me away from what I believe. And the only thing that, quote, scares me about it is these things that were already put in my head, like you need to be afraid. But this Buddhist book, for example, I remember finally picking it up and it was just about the beauty of mourning. And then I realized it reflected this Bible verse that was like, there's seasons of laughter and there's seasons of mourning. And so often the Christian church doesn't even allow you to cry because if you had enough faith, you would just be happy and things would be good and blah, blah, blah. All of that said, that was the very first time I looked at another practice and was like, that didn't harm me. It actually edified what I already believed. It, it increased my relationship with God. It centered me even more, made me comfortable about different seasons in life, like in Ecclesiastes. And here I am, still standing, still a Christian. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I I think that um, spiritual literacy is so important because there are so many different cultures and traditions and there are shitty things in many different cultures and traditions and religions. And then there are also incredible perspectives mm -hmm. that uh, just even based on where a religion was coming from geographically would not necessarily be part of the vernacular. So traditions that are coming out of different parts of the world are going to uplift certain things that can only aid our perspective and broaden our horizons and allow us to cultivate empathy, um, mm. to see things from a much richer vantage than we could just from our own limited vantage. Um, and I just think that it's the more, the more, you know, the better it is. I mean, I like that you address empathy in that because, you know, when Christians have this perception of us versus them and other you do classify everyone in the other category and you are robbing yourself and then you're really undermining other people that do have beautiful practices. Like if you look at Hinduism or Buddhism, they're freaking beautiful. And the people that practice them really well are some of the most incredible people that ever walk the earth. And, you know, being scared of that is really unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, to me, it just, it sounds like xenophobia, right? Mm. To just be afraid of anything that isn't what you know. Not you, again, <laughs> not personal, but the idea of... I used not, to be, yeah. The idea of <clears throat> not... Um, of being afraid to expand your horizon and to not embrace and put yourself in the shoes of somebody else, whether it be uh, religious or economic or social or racial, is really destructive and it does create an us versus them mentality which ultimately leads to really really bad things <laughs> <laughs> i have a lot of hate comments going through my head recently because i had one video that came out um about this singer named lauren daigle and it's my first encounter with stone thrower Christians is what I've begun calling them. Uh, like the story in the Bible where they're about to stone the woman for being an adulteress. And Jesus says, you know, that that person that can cast a stone is the one without sin. And of course, no one can throw a stone. So they all put them down. The woman's life is saved. Um, to me, there is still a huge 
group of Christians that are completely living in a fear-based mentality, which is so ironic because the Bible says to be fearless over 80 or 90 times. So actually fear is something that God wishes we would cast out altogether. And yet so much of the church is built on this kind of like fear-based thing. And therefore people react out of that and they throw their stones and they see an astrologist walking by and they throw their stones at you and say that you are a witch and you're going to go to hell and da, da 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 And to me, that's just wrong because we need to just sit down and try to get on the same page with people and see where we can see eye to eye. And you don't have to take it all in. You don't have to all of a sudden practice what the other person practices. So with that, the hate is keeps going through my mind because I can already hear what the people will say, which is like, now she's talking to witches and she, you know, <laughs> it's just like they are so toxic because they do put their fear in you. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, maybe I should just stay in my house and never leave again because everything is terrifying. But at the same time, if I consider as a Christian woman, the expanse of the universe and all the planets, and the fact that our body is made up of 98% water, and that when the moon is in the sky, it is so powerful that it's controlling the tides of the ocean, and how incredible that is, and that our body is made of water. When you tell me that somehow my 98% body of water mm. is being affected by those same planets, by the moon, by the universe... As an intellectual being, I'm like, huh, that that makes sense. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's no question that we are going to behave differently in the daytime than we are going to behave in the nighttime. And this used to be even more apparent before we had electricity, which was for the vast majority of human civilization is that we could do solar daytime activities. And then when the moon came up, we had to, during a new moon, when there was no light in the sky, stay in and mythologize and come up with stories and reflect. Or during a full moon, when there was nocturnal illumination, we could have night markets and we could meet in the forest and we could have communities that gathered in the darkness because there was enough night and light in the night sky you know those are real things that our bodies are wired to understand and know um when we think about astrology even past that right when we take our universe and we create an even more macro sensibility when we're talking about uh, astral bodies as far away as pluto and chiron and saturn and jupiter when we are we are talking about mythology as well. We're talking about archetypes and we're talking about symbols and symbols are so important. They are the, they, it is a human experience to, to be able to uh, categorize and understand the way that we're affected by different things on an archetypical level. So even when the, and before we began this podcast, I mentioned how I don't even talk to skeptics anymore because I just find it to be a total waste of my time. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, from a non-arguing on behalf of the science of the whole thing, we don't have to know that it is real or isn't real. It kind of doesn't matter because if it works and if it helps somebody 
deepen their understanding of self, if it helps somebody become a kinder person to see why they don't get along with their sister and to be able to find ways of actually improving the relationship and finding compassion for whatever their experience is, it doesn't matter. Who cares? Like they can be a Pluto person or they could have just gone through trauma in their life and it's time to connect with them on that. Mm -hmm. So astrology is a tool. Um, It's not a religious belief. Yeah, that's an amazing distinction. And I don't think, maybe I wouldn't even realize that in a way, but you're not worshiping anything in particular. Would you say astrologists have different religious practices? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I don't find my astrological practice to have any correlation to my religiosity. I know. And it's funny. I'm like, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm like, I feel like an idiot even asking you that because <laughs> of course it's not a religious practice. Like I know that, but at the same time it came out of my mouth because it's been a part of like anti-religion as presented by my religion, which kind of puts it in a religious category, but it's not. Right. I mean, it's, we, as we uh, were preparing for this, you mentioned Daniel in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm going to butcher this so you can elucidate on it. But well, yeah, it, I'll quickly say yeah. the king had a dream, and he called in all of the people on his court, which included like sorcerer and astrologer and numerologist and psychic and you know all these different people. And Daniel was in direct communication with God and was the only one that was able to interpret the prophecy and the king's dream. That's the story. So, yeah, I mean, that to me is intriguing because I would be curious about what the astrologer said and what the sorcerer (laughs) said. And, you know, I would want to know what all of their other interpretations are because there's not one way to just look at something especially in dream interpretation (laughs) (laughs) I know that it's presented all as so cut and dry and of course it's not um let's see okay so what do you think draws people to you the most like when people go to you for an astrological reading or something is there a common thread you find and what the people are seeking that's a really good question um I think that there's there are several reasons that somebody may want to sit with me for a reading. Every time I begin a session, I always ask that person to tell me why we are meeting in the first place because I do think that it creates a a level of accountability. Um, It helps me sort of anchor my own practice and be able to provide interesting, relevant information that addresses their curiosities or um, their queries that are pressing. But you know, sometimes people just want to know more about themselves. Sometimes people want a different perspective on a situation that they're dealing with in their life. Sometimes people are just curious about astrology. Um, People do not come to me to challenge me because I'm too expensive. So (laughs) they're, I'm y'all getting it for free. (laughs) And, you know, one of the reasons um, I advocate for practitioners to set solid quantitative values to what they're offering is for that very reason. Mm. Because just as there are, you know, these YouTube shadow dwellers who love to just spew hate, there are also people who I have encountered who just want to, like, 
say obnoxious things to me and try like to embarrass me at like a dinner party or something, which is humiliating for them ultimately <laughs> I like that you said that that's what I was gonna say like how embarrassing for them yeah like, I mean what it, for example it would be the same as if we were at a dinner party and you told me you were Christian and I started trying to like blow up your spot over it no it would be crazy it, yeah. <laughs> it, yeah that's no no disrespect at all I hate that do a lot of people come to you seeking knowledge about love oh yeah I feel like that would be one of the biggest questions out there yeah I mean it's I don't know what my deal is. I am obsessed with relationships and sex, but <laughs> I, when somebody comes to me with love questions, I am so um, inclined to really turn it into a much broader conversation because there really is no such thing as talking about romance without talking about childhood, without talking about the people who raised us in our life, mm-hmm. without figuring out what our relationship is with our mother, with our father, with our paternal figures and our maternal figures, you know, there ultimately is love is, is a two way street, right? We need to make sure that the person who is coming into the relationship is coming into it for the right reasons. And the person on the other side of it, you know, who I may not be reading the chart for is also participating in the same way or in corresponding ways that are complementary. Ultimately, like, love is not just like, I am into this person. Are we a match? It's so much more complex than that. Yeah. It's two people healing each other at the end of the day. Um, And you want them to be healing each other. You don't want them to be creating more trauma. I love that. Can you go more deeply into that? Because I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. And especially in the Christian church, love is incredibly goal-oriented. You're looking for your person that God has ordained to be in your life. And I find that to be so detrimental because it leaves out so many other possibilities. Like maybe it would have been ideal for me to have been with one person and rode off into the sunset and lived happily ever after. But my life has worked out where I've had multiple loves. And just to your point, I've learned so much from each one. So, like, how do you articulate that as far as the difference between the people healing each other or the people causing more destruction to each other? Well, I think that we have multiple soulmates. Um, I think that everyone who comes into our life with intention is a soulmate. I think you're one of my soulmates. And people are not always just romantic partners. I think that that is the first thing that we need to just clarify when we're talking about interpersonal you know soulmate karmic experiences and then second people are not meant to necessarily stay in our lives forever um soulmates can last decades or they can last 20 minutes and I've definitely had soulmates that lasted 20 minutes (laughs) and they Mm -hmm. have been very important and meaningful people but should I have tried to which I definitely also have done take that experience and try to push it into a different cycle then it it sort of becomes bastardized right it becomes me taking an experience that was maybe supposed to be a lunar experience and convert it into this long drawn out saga which doesn't feel right yeah which isn't going anywhere Mm -hmm. I keep hitting the same roadblocks and ultimately that's because we're taking a soulmate connection and we're just sort of 
visually we can imagine just like dragging it across our own timeline and trajectory where it really was it should be there but it should be a blip we should take our lesson and move on um so one of the first things that I try to figure out is like okay how is this person supposed to be informing your life what have we learned from them uh and are those lessons still going on or are you just sort of banging your head against the wall now after having learned that lesson yeah I mean I couldn't agree with that more because I think the focus on eternities and happily ever afters can be so destructive because you will feel call it intuition call it the holy spirit call it whatever like you know when you are forcing something that is just not working or that is not meant to be and you can you can extend those way too long it's like you're staying in, you know, second grade for five years because right. you just want to make it work. And it's like, no, you graduated. That person already taught you what was meant to be learned. And to your point, too, that could be a friend connection as well. It could be someone that betrayed you in some way and you both are, like, releasing each other. It's just like, just let it go. Because right. that might have been your lesson for that moment. And now you're moving forward. That's it. <laughs> yeah, and we want to allow everybody to progress. Um, there's nothing that is <laughs> less of what we're inclined to do from an astrological perspective than stay still. The planets are constantly moving. Our chart is constantly moving. We are always evolving. So to be stagnant is the worst thing you can do for a chart. Mm, I can't imagine being stagnant. I would die on the inside well yeah truly. I mean you're also a Gemini so <laughs> we cannot let that happen <laughs> well yeah so let's get into that because I think I mean at the end of the day like I don't want to diminish it to something so small but like a lot of it does seem to simply be based in personality and being able to understand like you said like that self-seeking understanding who you are at your roots where perhaps you should be headed according to those desires and those innate character traits that you have is that essentially a good way to sum up the way you could see astrology? I, I mean, there's so many different types of practices of astrology. This I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, it's very, very old. Yeah, <laughs> astrology <that I> know. <laughs> has been around for a long time. Um, the personality variation of astrology is, I would say, the newest. Um, oh, okay. Because it corresponds with the psychology movement of the 20th century. Prior to that, astrology was, you know, as again, gone through many different iterations, but it was very much connected to the crops, um, the farmer's almanac of when yeah. is a good time for us to be harvesting, when is a good time for us to be planting seeds. And it was on a much more macro level. Astrology has also been used to determine um, wedding dates and children and these more medieval topics. Um, and then astrology has also been used to as science, right? It was before there was astronomy, before we had the advent of the telescope. It was the way that we were imagining we were seeing things in a macro sense which ultimately informed us being able to see things in a micro sense and make sense of our bodies on a cellular level as we were seeing the stars on a uh on a much more expansive macro level so there is a axiom there's an axiom in astrology as above so below 
And this is so meaningful to me. And in fact, knowing this idiom, I think it's raining. Yeah. (laughs) Knowing this even predates my studies into astrology, which as above, so below means whatever exists on one level is occurring on another. And that polarity is so important. Whatever we're outputting, we're also inputting. When we are breaking out, it usually has to do with what we're eating. When we can't sleep at night, it might have to do with something that is happening to us psychologically. So there's always the mirror image of whatever we're experiencing. And astrology is the true reflection of that statement, right? What we're seeing on this macro level of the universe, quote unquote, is also internally our own cosmology, our own Pluto, our own Saturn, our own Jupiter representations. So it really, I feel like, helps provide direction um, as we move forward. And I completely forgot even what you asked, but (laughs) that was my tangent on whatever it was. No, no. I mean, it's so beautiful to also understand the root of all of this, because I think it's too easy to write something off as a quote sin or as witchcraft and then not actually try to immerse ourselves in the history of it. So what would, I'm sorry to interrupt. I'm curious about like what, what is the perspective on therapy? I think we're fine with that. I don't even like, I'm not even, um, involved to that degree in like the evangelical church right now um because I'm truly trying to find a home where I belong um but I know I want to speak to a girl about mental health this girl that struggled a lot with her own mental health because I know a lot of people have written me about exactly that about therapy and medication because they were apparently forced to just like pray harder, pray harder, pray harder to be healed of these things. And a lot of times made to feel guilty if they weren't improving their mental health or their state of being in any way, that it was their fault that they didn't believe they didn't have enough faith, which I can only imagine how damaging that would be for someone that's already struggling so much. And I think therapy has definitely been more embraced as I knew it, but it would still be within the framework of like Christian counseling. And a lot of these people are people that went to like Bible college locally, you know, being taught by God knows who literally. And, (laughs) and then kind of sent into these congregations as people that are supposed to be super knowledgeable about like how to, go through the world in a healthy way and have beautiful relationship with your spouse or the people around you. And I don't think without genuine, like scientific knowledge, knowledge of genuine psychology and what's going on within our bodies and our health, like even the disregard for Eastern medicine to me is such a crazy oversight. And so unfair to me too, because it's like people are even scared to do yoga And it's like, oh my gosh, like yoga is so beautiful. It's like one of the healthiest things I do do for my body. And I can feel it. My body like is, you know, just thanks me all the live long day after I do some of these things, acupuncture, all of it. So I think that everyone is becoming more enlightened and I even hesitate to say that word because people accuse that of being new agey but people are really like starting to want to dive in and understand things better and I think that throwing out 
all of the knowledge that's acquired over all of these practices because we're not supposed to be looking at it is just like, no, you should look at it. See where other people are coming from, seeing what they've learned and how they're improving their life and how you can then incorporate it into your own belief system. Well, another um, thought that I have on astrology and mental health is actually one of the things that is so beautiful about uh, looking at an astrological chart the awareness that so many influences inform our experience, influences that we haven't even had ourselves, things that are legacy pain um, that have been passed down to us that we haven't even had to deal with but are still responding to. You know, I can see in somebody's chart if there are ancestral roots that are connected to, let's say, the Holocaust or to slavery, or to genocide, in a way that that person is still embodying it, but they didn't even choose. It wasn't even their life, you know? It was a life, they're responding to something still that wasn't even their experience, because that's how much other things affect us. Things that we don't even have to do, that aren't even us, you know? Astrology accounts for that, and I think that without a tool to get there, whether it be astrology or therapy or a very rich spiritual practice or religious practice, it's hard to uh, forgive yourself Mm. because you may not have even done anything wrong. (laughs) Yeah, You may not have even had that experience in your own life, but yet you're still somebody who is Um, seeing the world and being affected by the world through something that was passed down within your own DNA. Yeah, and I was telling you earlier that that does not conflict with the Christian practice at all. We are taught about generational curses and things that go down through your family. But how do you see that in a chart? So in a chart, there are so many ways to read it. But I... The chart is divided into four quadrants. Um, The bottom of the chart are things that are existing right now in your own reality. The top of the chart are aspirations. The left side of the chart are things that have to do with you. The right side of the chart are things that have to do with other people. Based on the way that the chart is configured, where planets show up in Uh, which quadrant and which subsections of those quadrant, which are called houses, we can see the relationship between outer planets, which are the bigger generational, um, more thematic energies, and the inner planets, which are our mundane activities and interaction to things. So we can even see if somebody in their communication is being informed by communication that has been passed down through other people or if that person is actually just, you know, kind of finding their own voice and has always just had their own statements on things. I mean, it's fascinating. It is very cool. (laughs) How long do you think it takes to get really good at being an astrologist? Well, I, I think that it just is a lifelong pursuit. Mm -hmm. Um, even right now I haven't 
uh, met with any of my mentors in several weeks because it was the holidays and I've been traveling and I'm starting to feel like a little um, out of practice even though I've continued to write horoscopes and read charts and work with people, I want to always keep learning Mm. and I always want to be perfecting my technique and practicing and, um, and finding new ways of being able to deepen my relationship with astrology and be able to help people from an even more, uh, enriched perspective. So, I don't want to ever become static in what I know mm-hmm. astrologically. I I truly, truly believe in the academic component of it. It is very important to me. This is not uh, – there is no right or wrong of this. You know, some astrologers are self-taught and very intuitive and incredible. For me, being a student of astrology and being a professional – very, very important. And I need those to always live simultaneously. I love that. I respect that. Definitely. Um, do you, is intuition always a part of the practice? Like, no. Um, interesting. I actually had a poll on social media and asked, you know, the, the public, the, (laughs) the people, how much intuition mattered in an astrologer. And I would say that, you know, the vast majority, let's say 90% said intuition was important. 10% said no. And speaking to that 10%, astrology can be, you know, very clinical if you want it to be. It can just simply have to do with the planets, what they represent, what their degrees are, what their angles are, and where they are, you know, landing and the history of them. I don't practice like that because there is the intuition aspect of it, but that is what makes an astrologer special, um, is it's not just regurgitating the algorithm of how something is manifesting in a chart, but it's also being intuitive enough to find the application for it. Um, an example of this is there. I have a placement in my own chart, Mars in the eighth house and it in old archaic texts it would say your father died at a young age horrible I mean and my father didn't right so that's also wrong and confusing and weird and it it didn't you know it upset me obviously to read something like that but I progressed forward years later I was working with one of my mentors and just through an organic conversation did we start talking about my own family history and my father um, leaving my mother when I was seven and, you know, marrying my now stepmother and how much that felt like a loss and, oh my God, a death at a young age. Mm. So that is an interpretation and that's also intuition because you need to be able to hear a person and hear their story and listen to it and intuit what is happening in their life in order to actually apply the algorithm of astrology to their circumstances. Um, Astrology happens and it is the astrologer who can find the art of being able to help a person understand their own world through it. 
Do you have any particularly beautiful stories of helping someone or affirming something that they needed? Um, I feel very arrogant in answering this question. <laughs> no, please, <laughs> just do it. I've helped some people um, with pregnancy. Mm. Um, I've helped some people identify things in their life that have been really painful. Um, issues with their own parents, um, issues with their partners, projection, a huge issue in general, especially with Instagram and social media and the way that our society is set up at this present moment. Mm. Um, I have had some experiences where I have identified that something really crazy happened to someone right when they were born and they didn't know what it was and they are sort of like, I don't know, it doesn't check out, only to discover um, that they had a spinal tap when they were born oh, wow. that they didn't know about. Oh, wow. um, I've had some experiences where somebody was having a problem getting pregnant, nobody knew why, and over the course of the conversation, it turns out that that person was actually a twin in utero and their tw their sibling died in utero. And in their chart, there was so much death and sadness. And that person had not really reconciled being part of a unit. Mm. And now they're pregnant with twins. <laughs> wow. I mean, that really resonates too because so much of the things that our bodies suffer are not purely physical. I, I have really strong reactions to my emotional life in my period, for example. If I go a particularly like heartbreaking, um, if I experience a particularly painful heartbreak or something, I'll have the craziest period I've had in, in years, you know? So I definitely think that there's so much to be said for clearing those blockages in our minds, those things that hold us back. That's beautiful. Yeah, I mean, it's in some cases um, a lifelong process and there isn't that aha moment and there isn't that happy ending where the person who was a twin who never talked to their mother about the miscarriage um, is now pregnant with twins. Like sometimes it doesn't work out like that. Yeah. And we also need to find peace and forgiveness for the things that we cannot change, you know, that are hard and difficult to deal with. It doesn't mean that we brush them under the rug and never address them, but we can't expect to be saved <laughs> all the time, even when we ourselves are incredibly spiritual, enlightened, thoughtful, compassionate people. I actually um, was reading this fabulous book on the planet Neptune, which the archetype surrounding that is illusion and fantasy and it's connected to the entertainment industry but it's also spirituality and mysticism but it's it's heavy you know it has like a it, it's fog and fog could either be really beautiful or it could be really destructive and one this book alive and well with neptune by bill tierney was discussing how oftentimes as spiritual people we feel like we deserve good lives like we <laughs> yeah. are we are thoughtful and we are empathetic and we are aware of the world. Therefore, 
bad things should not happen to us Mm -hmm. because we are of that enlightened group of people. But that's just not how life works. Not at all. Like shitty things happen to very good people and it is our responsibility to recognize that and to not let that um, dictate our own worth. Just because something bad happens doesn't mean you're a bad person. But for whatever reason in society, we create this one-to-one with circumstances and internal realities. No, I couldn't agree more. Like I, you know, that question that people ask, why do bad things happen to good people? To me, it's become so much more clear. I used to think exactly that. Be good, have good. But really this entire life is an experience to me of drawing close to the divine, to God. That's what I see my life journey as, expanding my knowledge and that understanding as much as possible. I love, love, love people. I love hearing people's stories and their different perspectives. So to me, this is just all about growth and acquiring as much wisdom as possible. I remember being really young and praying that I just wanted to die a really wise woman. (laughs) And sometimes I kick myself for that now because I'm like, you know how you become wise? By having terrible things happening to you. And by, you know, facing all these obstacles that you have to overcome and meeting people that are really challenging, that really wreck your heart. You know, that's how, that's where wisdom comes from. It's true. And that's what real life is about. This life was not made for perfection, clearly. Right. And we're not just learning things by reading about them and listening to other people. We're also learning things experientially yeah so we need to we're all going to have pain and we're all going to have hardship what I think is very important about astrology and one of my favorite my favorite favorite things about it is that I go into a chart knowing that that person has had really hard times Mm. no matter what it is everybody has a difficult past in one way or another and when we allow ourselves to not say, well, my life was harder because X, Y, and Z, and I've had this, or to separate ourselves completely and be like, ooh, they've had a hard life. Like, no wonder they're this way. <laughs> like, not good. That's yeah. not empathetic. That's not kind. And when that person who's being judgmental starts going through hardship, they're going to realize that for people to be supportive and genuinely there for them is the most important thing we can do to help each other Mm. is offer that support through hardship and through good times too and not judge somebody when they're having a hard time which we often do we really do yeah it's like you assume everything is being brought on to you because of your fault right and like you give somebody advice like you know you give a girlfriend advice when you find that they keep being in these like stupid relationships and then lo and behold, they get hurt again. And the instinct is to be like, I told you so. <laughs> yeah. Like, ooh, how unhelpful is that? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I think um, one of the greatest takeaways is just that what you're doing is helping people not live a complacent, stagnant life, like you were saying, not being static in one place. And I think that is crucial on our spiritual journey of not shoving down pain and not being ashamed of it and to really realize that you are not alone in that and that things can be brought down ancestrally and whether or not you're skeptical of that it's like 
we have the same blood running through the veins of our old relatives and their story is a part of our story. So of course they're going to be affected. And then even the parenting techniques that get passed down generationally, it's like you're all learning similar things. And I think it's beautiful to be on a path where you're deciding to do better. We're deciding to not date that seventh idiot, that the eighth one will not be an idiot because you're actually delving in deep and not and being fearless about right that. and recognizing that you know what is going to happen instead of dating that eighth person who sucks I said idiot yeah <laughs> <laughs> um is that you're gonna have to do something else yeah you're gonna have to do something yeah. else yeah it's no one else's responsibility mm-hmm. you're going to be the one who needs to look at that thing that happened to you when you were 12 you're going to have to be the one to have a conversation that nobody else is willing to have. You're going to have to be the one to contact that first idiot and like get a answer to whatever it is that you need clarification on or to delete their number and never, ever, ever let them contact you again. Mm-hmm. But that is ultimately the responsibility of the individual and the chart and nobody is going to protect that person from not dating the eighth idiot other than oneself yeah how do people get that bravery and tenacity to make that change I mean I I think that it in certain circumstances is a lot easier than in others is the sort of cop-out answer of it there isn't one way to do it but just starting I guess is the the best way to move forward I like that just one step at a time yeah And I always feel like God is so gentle in that way. Like I'm never bombarded by all my problems at the same time. It's like, here, fix this one little thing and take this one little action and see things improve. I think that this might actually have its origins in the New Testament, but correct me here. So there is some idiom that God or the universe will never give you more than you can handle. Yes. And I'm looking at 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, which I don't think is directly saying you'll never be given more than you can handle. I mean, I think that adding temptation to it makes it feel a little sexy to me, but (laughs) (laughs) we are so strong and resilient and there, we are brave, brave, brave people who can really overcome so much as our ancestors have overcome so much. And life can be really, really hard. And I do believe that there is a way of feeling empowered in the face of lots of adversity. I, again, have to reiterate that that is, you know, on some evil person will can easily extort that to being a way of justifying oppression Mm. so that we have to be careful with this yeah but I do think that um resilience is an incredible thing and even in the in really difficult times in love and in loss there's a way that we can take our experiences and help others and then in turn help ourselves through that process I love that any final thoughts anything you'd like anyone to know astrology isn't scary (laughs) (laughs) 
I know. There's not an evil woman sitting on my couch. No. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, let's touch on, what's this book you're writing? You're writing another book geared towards teenagers? Yeah, so I wrote one book on alcohol, and now I'm writing one book for teenagers because that's obviously the responsible thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the book that I have coming out in the early spring is called Starring You, and it is a guided journal through astrology. So it is a uh, interactive notebook that I guess is a little more than a notebook because it does have a lot of astrology 101 text, but it is written for my 13-year-old self, but it is also written for my 29-year-old self in that it is a practice in cycling um, through your own thoughts, in creating safe spaces, in tracking how you feel with the different moon cycles and with celebrating the full range of who you are the good the bad the ugly the things you like about yourself the things you don't like about yourself all of those make someone's astrological fingerprint somebody's um profile right somebody is who they are because of their strengths and weaknesses not in spite of them so this book is really a celebration of all of that through a cosmic perspective. That's really cool. That sounds very interesting. I'm really excited about it. I'm I'm definitely an advocate of any moment where someone can be like sitting down and writing out what they're going through with like honesty, like you said, a safe space. Yeah. And also talking about the things that we don't like about ourselves, writing about them, even if it's not to be read or shared with anyone is super cool. Yeah. Yes, definitely. It's not only about like what we ate that was good and how much yoga we did and <laughs> like how shiny and clean our hair is. You know, it's all of the other stuff too. Yeah, I love that. Well, thank you so much, Elisa. Thank you so much. And we love you guys. Thank you for listening. Um, this, again, was a conversation. So if you have any questions, can they reach you? Yes, please do. Um, not with any hate, though. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. That might be dangerous. They, you can absolutely reach me. If you say shitty things, I am going to block. report you Good. and block your ass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find me at Eliza Kelly, A-L-I-Z-A-K-E-L-L-Y. On Instagram, my website is elisakelly.com. I'll see you there. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, yeah, and reach me, guys. Let me know what you thought. And if you have any more questions or you'd like me to revisit another conversation in the future with Eliza, I think we'd both be happy to do so. Um, that's it. We love you Thank guys. You. God bless.